Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 88 of the OCR Underground Show. If you want to check out the show notes for anything mentioned in today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 88. Well, um, I think I say this every year, but it is uh, the end of the year, and I was really tempted to just hold off on another podcast and wait until January and you know hit the year strong. But I always want to do the best I can to kind of finish out the year and not coast. So I wanted to get in one last episode before the end of the year, right before the holidays. So I hope you're having an amazing end of the year and holiday season. Most likely race season is over for you and you're starting to plan ahead to 2022. Um, I got my last race in up in LA at Lake Castaic and uh, ran it with uh, a big group of clients, many whom have never done a Spartan race before. So it was just a really cool experience to to go through and help them. Um, and they all loved it. It was an awesome day, great course. Um, Lake Estate always has a nice, nice atmosphere there. So a uh, good way to end the year and uh, get a, a bunch of first timers out there that hopefully um, are gonna continue for some more races next year. Uh, did get to run the obstacle specialist uh, specialist course on uh, Friday before the race, which was great getting to go through and actually great for me too to kind of slow down and get on some of the obstacles the first time since uh, my injury. And I was happy I was able to get through all of the obstacles they had there. Um, but it was it was interesting just definitely slowing down um, and it was kind of a nice reminder to to practice other techniques because I couldn't still can't go through as fast as I normally do and and with the same technique I I normally do on things like monkey bars and and the rig Um, even wall jumps and rope climb a lot of them I had to really be mindful of how I went over and you know just simple things like switching hand position which hand goes first and and things like that so it was a nice little practice but I was just happy to be able to make it through all of them you know definitely felt my my injury a little bit it's you know still tight still healing but it's it's going pretty well that I was able to to get through everything even if it was a little bit slower there so great way to end the year so now it's time to uh, to plan for uh, for the next season and uh, I did want to let everybody know if you are in the SoCal area my gym is going to be hosting a DECA strong event on January 16th uh, 2022. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can see how to register. Um, it should be a fun event. I'm really excited to uh, not only to host it, but to participate as well. So it should be a good start to the year. Um, hopefully we'll be hosting a few of them throughout the year. So this will be a great, great starting point for us. So for today's episode, we're going to heavily focus on off-season training. Um, this is you know a topic I've talked about before. But I think it, it, it often gets skipped over and most people just kind of train the, the same all year round. And I just want to emphasize the importance of really um, understanding how to differentiate your program and things you should consider. So uh, I want to spend a lot of time today really diving into off-season training 
Um, and, you know, really my top three things that you want to maybe shift your focus on that you may not have been paying attention to during uh, your in-season training. Maybe you have, but I think now is the time to really emphasize uh, these three things. So today's going to be a, a really heavily focused on um, how you can improve your off-season training to improve uh, next year's race season. Um, before we get into that, I, I do also want to share some research um, that'll tie into a little bit with uh, off-season training and a, a very specific strategy, uh, something referred to as post-activation uh, potentiation. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful, but it's uh, basically a technique that um, is has been studied for a long time to help recruit more muscle fibers to get you stronger and more powerful to basically in, increase performance. So it's almost kind of think of it as it's like a supplement, but not a nutritional supplement. It's, it's a, a technique you can use to get a little bit more out of your workout. So really interesting things there. So I'm going to talk about that uh, in my research review. But before we get into today's episode, I also want to take a few minutes and talk about the sponsors and um, for making this show possible. So uh, first, I want to talk about Venga CBD. Um, make sure you check out their website at vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. And you'll see on that web page, there's a few codes there that you can use to save pretty big on some of your uh, or on your order. And uh, so why Venga CBD? You know, I've talked about this product for a long time, you know, whether it was healing from my injury and just using everything possible to speed up that process or just in general trying to recover as quickly as I can from workout to workout so I can push myself and, and recover faster and, and so I can get back to, to training and doing the things that I love to do. Um, couple things with Venga CBD, it, it is designed specifically with the endurance athlete in mind, so it fits perfectly with OCR athletes. Uh, it's water soluble, so it's going to be much more absorbable. In fact, five times more will get into your bloodstream than other typical CBD products. Uh, on top of CBD, it's also packed with curcumin, another awesome anti-inflammatory uh, agent. So you get the, the CBD plus the curcumin with it. Um, it's THC free. I know that sometimes scares people when they hear CBD, um, but it is safe, um, very effective. So again, check out their website at vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. And if you click on the link or the tab at the top, you're going to see free stuff on there. And uh, what a perfect time to download their, uh, their free digital, or you can pay a few bucks to get a uh, printed copy of the 2022 training calendar. There's a couple few, a couple different templates uh, that you can choose from, but uh, I really love the layout of this so you can really plan out your year, plan out your racing, plan out your training so it, it helps you peak for those big races there. I also wanted to talk about Fitbar. You can uh, check them out at fitbarstrong.com and uh, really awesome uh, made in the USA fitness products uh, specifically for uh, OCR type training and, and grip training. Uh, one of the big things I talk to a lot of clients with that struggle on a lot of the hanging obstacles, you know, they, they get hanging, they can do their dead hangs and their flex hangs, but they have a really hard time transitioning from different types of of things like you might see on the rig. So uh, they have a, a bunch of really cool products that you can easily integrate into your home gym or at the gym uh, from fat grip bars uh, to hangboard grips to, to ropes, uh, other really cool 
grip training tools, but a great way to work on um, not just your grip and your hanging strength, but transitioning from different types of, of uh, obstacles that you might see in a race. So uh, again, fitbarstrong.com, uh, some great sales going on right now too, and you can use code uh, OCR underground and save even more on your next order. Uh, and then finally, I want to talk about Flex Movement, Flex Movement. Dot, uh, flexmovementfitness.com and that's uh, movement spelled M-V-M-T. Uh, some really cool products here. I've, I've been posting a lot of uh, different videos on how I'm using um, their different tools and, and what I really like is they uh, their different products actually all work together um, um, which is really neat. So my abs are super sore right now from uh, a really cool exercise that uh, I use with the flex disc as well as uh, attaching their bars to it to almost creating like an ab wheel, um, but it, it can go in all different directions. So really cool. I'll post a video in the show notes so you can see the exercise that I'm talking about. Um, it's almost like a stir the pot kind of movement where you're holding a plank position and, and just making these big circles with their, with their flex, flex disc. Um, so uh, really cool, the, the bars, the discs, the cords, um, all these tools work together um, really well for, you know, again, home gym or bringing to, uh, to wherever you might be working out. So uh, check out uh, their website again, Flex Movement. Remember, that's mvmtfitness.com. And if you use code uh, DEBLER, again, you'll uh, D-E-I-B-L-E-R, my last name, uh, you'll save big on uh, your next order there. So again, thanks to our sponsors for making this show possible. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, well, let's jump into today's research review. And I, I mentioned we're talking about something called post-activation potentiation. Um, so before we get into the actual study, I want to explain exactly what this is. So like I mentioned, it's, you know, I, I kind of relate it to ergogenic aids or supplements. And a lot of what supplements uh, can do, like a pre-workout type supplement, is they allow you to maybe get a little bit more workload than you typically can get without it, right? So the idea is... If I push a few more reps, if I can lift a, few, a little bit more weight um, taking this supplement, then that might be um, you know beneficial because I'm getting more work done and I'm going to see faster progress there, getting stronger, faster, whatever the goals might be. So anything I can do that will help with this is obviously going to be beneficial for my training and beneficial for performance. And uh, that's kind of how post-activation potential works. It, it's a technique that you can use that's going to help you maybe run a little bit faster, jump a little bit higher, uh, push a little bit more weight, or, or get a few more repetitions than if you didn't do something like this. Now, I know it sounds, sounds too good to be true, but um, there is a lot of research behind this, and it's, it's a pretty often used technique. Maybe you've used it before, you just didn't know it was called uh, PAP, or post-activation potentiation. Um, but essentially what it does, it's, it's involving the nervous system in your training and, and the nervous system is something, you know, we don't often hear about when we're lifting weights, for example, we think mostly about the muscles, but we have to remember the, the muscles are doing what the nervous system is allowing it to do or telling it to do. So our goal when we're lifting and running and sprinting and jumping, you want to recruit as many, um, muscle fibers as possible. Now, a muscle fiber is activated by the nervous system, right? So they, they call this a motor unit, right? Where your 
uh, your nerve uh, activates a group of muscle fibers. So that whole group would be called a motor unit. So the more motor units that you can recruit, the stronger, the more power a muscle can um, uh, produce. So uh, the problem is you don't automatically recruit all of your motor units, right? So if I were to lift or run or, or just kind of walk around and move, your body's only going to use what it needs and it, nothing more than that, right? So you won't use all muscle fibers to create a movement. Now, the heavier a weight you lift um, or maybe the faster you move, the more and more um, motor units or muscle fibers you're going to recruit. So this technique is almost a way to trick your body into using more muscle fibers than it, it typically would in the past and, and getting more of a contraction out of these different muscle fibers. And essentially what you're doing is uh, stimulating uh, a muscle group or, or muscles um, with a, a heavy lift um, or even an isometric contraction where you're just holding a position against something. So uh, you often see, and then you would follow this up with typically a fast movement. So the, the most common technique that you're going to see that uses this uh, phenomenon is uh, complex training where you are going to do something um, head, like let's say a heavy uh, back squat for example so you're going to go very high load low reps you know something to really uh, tense those uh, create some tension in those muscles and you would immediately follow that with an explosive exercise like a squat jump or a box jump and there is a lot of research showing that when you do something like this you are going to see um, more power output so jumping higher um, jumping or running faster so a lot of this type of uh, work that you're or the studies you'll see involves like sprinting power jumping throwing uh, things like that so it's a, a heavy resisted strength exercise immediately followed by a um, a power exercise. So that's that's typically how you're going to see this technique used, right? So you do a heavy back squat, few reps, uh, more maximal loaded, so like 90% of your one rep max or higher, and then you follow it up with an all-out power movement like a box jump, right? And you want to make sure that you're doing uh, similar movement patterns, right? So like a squat and then a squat jump or a box jump. You, you want to match those up because that's how this works, right? You're you're in, you're getting the body to engage more motor units by the heavy lift. And then while those uh, motor units are excited, they're ready to go again, then you follow it up with a similar movement. So you, you need to recruit the same muscles in order for this to happen. So uh, so keep that in mind as, as we're going through this. Um, so getting into this study, the, re the reason I picked this one is because, well, one, it's newer, but they, like I mentioned, a lot of the studies that you see uh, involve more power movement, right? So they want to see how this um, PAP can incre increase power output. So get you to jump higher, throw farther, and run faster, which is all great. Um, but this study actually looked more at uh, loading in um, just typical strength training. So a uh, little bit different because most are looking at power. This one was looking at more uh, strength and loading and uh, Basically, could this delay fatigue a little bit so you can get a few more reps? So remember, in the beginning, like I was talking about, you take a supplement. If you can push out a few more reps, um, obviously, that's going to be beneficial for you. So they, they took more of that approach. Uh, so what they did in this study was they had a, a, a group that did the, the PAP, right? So they, they did a, a heavy loaded exercise followed by kind of a, a normal exercise. 
Uh, and then they had a group that, that didn't do that and they wanted to see what the difference was. So here's how they ran the study. They had uh, all the participants did both, um, uh, both sides of the experiment. So um, what they did was they, they you know, tested their one rep max so they could use uh, the appropriate numbers. And um, they essentially had to do two different sessions uh, throughout this study. So one of the sessions was the control. So what they did for this was uh, they just did bench press. That was the only exercise they did. So when they went into the lab, they would perform uh, three sets of bench press until failure. Um, and they used 75% of their one rep max. And then they rested a minute and a half between each of the sets. Right, so they, they knew the load because they tested their one rep max. They had them perform the um, exercise to failure for three sets with that rest period in between. And they tracked the load and the, um, the amount of work performed and the number of reps performed. Uh, in the second part of the study, they essentially did the same exact thing, but they started in order to get this uh, post-activation um, potentiation, they did one set of three reps using 90% of their one rep max, right? So they did uh, 90%, so the very heavy load, they did three reps of it, then they rested for 10 minutes just in order to, to recover, um, and then they performed the same as before. They did uh, bench press 75% of their one rep max, two failure for three sets with a minute and a half uh, in between each. So. Like I said, I like this one because it was looking more at total work performed versus um, uh, power, which is what a lot of these these types of studies will show. Um, so what they found that the uh, total workload performed was greater in that PAP group. So um, they calculus and and turn and uh, how they define this is in pounds, or actually, I'm sorry, they use kilograms performed right so the number of reps they did times the weight that they moved gives you the amount of work that they did so when they did it using that uh, pap method they did on average uh, 1600 kilograms of work there uh, in the control compared to that was a little under 1400 so pretty significant increase in work performed uh, they also found that the number of repetitions performed in uh, specifically in the first two sets were greater they didn't find a difference in that third set but they found a significant difference in reps performed in sets one and two um, so again pretty interesting there so just doing this one set heavy set to start then resting fully then going into your normal you know work sets of you know bench press in this example they saw more work performed right so they were able to, to perform more reps with that weight um which is going to you know that basically looking at volume how much work you're performing in a given time if we can increase that volume um, we're going to see better results so um, this study was consistent with many of the power related studies where doing something like this like a heavy lift and then jumping sprinting you know throwing um, we would see significant increases in performance there. And we do see uh, significant increases in performance here as well by doing strength exercises after your, your heavy load. So um, I thought that was an interesting study, um, really simple thing that you can do to kind of get more out of your workouts. Um, this may not be something you do every single workout, but try mixing it in, maybe pick one exercise 
um, per workout, maybe one upper, one lower, maybe alternate per workouts, where you try a technique like this, right? So there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can do a heavy loaded exercise, so like a heavy bench press to start, um, and then going into your work sets after that to try and get more more out of it. Um, you can do, you know, if you maybe you're not comfortable doing like starting with a heavy lift, you can do isometrics as well, which which uh, have shown to work. Where you can do, uh, you know, if we're using this bench press as an example, you can put a weight on um, that you know you can't lift, and then you set it up on a, you know, a safety bar. So maybe it's, you know, halfway down the lift on your bench press, or maybe you know, a few inches off your chest, and then you just push on that bar as hard as you can. So it's not going to move move anywhere, but you're doing, you know, a very heavy load, pushing as hard as you can, um, and then once you recover going into your work sets after that. So that might be another way you can implement this. Um, and then obviously you can you can add power on it too. So if you're gonna do some, you know, lower body power training, some box jumps, maybe adding in, you know, an isometric squat hold or um, or heavy squats, and then going into your box jumps, something like that. So um, it's, again, really simple thing you can do to just, you know, it's not going to get you jumping a foot higher or you know lifting a, a million more pounds but it's something that it might help you get just a few more reps than you would have otherwise and i think when you uh you do that consistently those extra reps add up and they're going to get your results a little bit faster so post activation potential um i think it's a pretty cool technique you can use whether you're you're trying to improve your power output or you're trying to improve your um your, your strength and even muscle size as well. It can, it can come in handy for any of those situations. All right, to finish off this episode, it's time to talk about your off-season training. So this time of year, I think it's for most people, they're probably in some type of off-season plan. You know, there's not too many races going on right now. And you know, the holidays are here and people are busier and, and um, it just gets tougher and tougher to race. So we're, we're kind of planning for the next few months out. Now, I know when we even say off season, it's tough for a sport like like OCR because there there are races all year. and Many people are going to get get right back to it in January. Um, and that's OK. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is on what, you know, in season, off season. Um, it doesn't mean you're not competing necessarily in your off season. In my eyes, it's more you're just changing your focus. Your your peak races probably aren't going to be for quite a few months. Um, now, if your your most important race is in January, then obviously this all changes. You're in season right now, and you're you're training totally different. Um, so I'm just thinking, and uh, for most people, that's probably not the case, but it, it definitely could be. So we need to to understand well when are the peak races that we're we're trying to uh, to perform for. And then we plan out our in-season and off-season based on that. Now, the next question usually is, you know, how long should your off-season be? How long should your in-season be? Again, it's, it's going to really depend on how much work do we need to put in. You know, somebody who's been doing this for a while can probably get away with a shorter off-season. Somebody who is relatively new may want to put in a little bit more time in their off-season because they, they need more adaptations they need more, you know, physiological changes to occur in the body, and that just takes time. And if you're just trying to jump right into the, you know, jump right to the finish line, um, you're you're not getting everything you can get out of your training. So it's it's tough, and you need to be patient to allow some of these 
these different changes to occur in the body. Um, I think like a three month off season is, is pretty good. It, it definitely can be longer than that. But I think for a lot of people having a three to four month off season to really focus in on a few things is going to be really, really helpful. So yes, if you're starting right now, you know, that could put you into the spring that we're focusing on these things and then, um, and then switching over to your end season training after that. And it's not like it's a, it's a night and day difference, right? We're, we're training to get better in all these. It's, it's just shifting the focus of your training to different areas. Um, like one big thing is I, I typically recommend, you know, this time of year, taking a break on a lot of the obstacle specific stuff, um, just to kind of give the joints a little bit of a break and really focus more on the strength needed for those obstacles, right? So it's a little bit more of a strength focus versus obstacle specific training. Not that you can never do it. It's always good to throw it in there, but it's, it's probably not the priority right now. Uh, so one thing I often, you know, tell people that are struggling with an obstacle, um, it's, it's not really the technique that needs the work right now. It's, it's, you just don't have the underlying strength in order to do this exercise, right? Just think if you were trying to do monkey bars and you couldn't do a five second dead hang, does it really make sense to work on technique for monkey bars, right? So it's, we need to go back to what's going to get you better at monkey bars right now. Well, let's improve grip. Let's improve upper body pulling strength and, and let's just get you stronger. And then, Hey, we got your, your hanging, uh, your, your dead hang into uh, you know 30 seconds 45 seconds 60 seconds right now we're we're looking pretty good and now let's let's actually throw some technique on top of it so uh, kind of an exaggeration but hopefully that makes sense that that's the focus right so let's not let's get off the monkey bars and let's get you strong so you can get on the monkey bars uh, in a few months hopefully so um, that's kind of the big picture with with that in season off season um, so I wanted to at least touch on kind of my big three areas and you're thinking about all these things during your in season too but really just uh, three key things to consider in your off season and how you might um, tweak them a little bit now that we are in the off season so uh, number one i wanted to focus on um, nutrition so obviously this is an important thing to do in season and off season but really looking in and trying to dial in your nutrition as best you can so i think the number one thing is what are you at your ideal body composition, right? Do, do you need to lose a few pounds, lose some body fat? Do maybe you need to gain a little bit of muscle? I think that if, if you know, if, if you're at your ideal body weight, then, you know, this will skip ahead a little bit. But I think for, for many people, you know, they're probably going to say, yes, I, I do think I need a little bit more muscle to help me get stronger. Or, you know what, if I lost 10 pounds, I think it would make a lot of these hanging obstacles, uh, a lot easier for me. So if that's the case, then shifting less of a performance side nutrition, you know, from a fueling standpoint, standpoint, you know, obviously nutrition is still going to fuel us, but also it's really, what are you going to pay attention more to? I think now it's all right, well, let's, let's look at total calories. Let's, let's look at macronutrients uh, and things like that, that are going to help me get to my ideal body composition, whether it's um, decreasing calories or increasing calories, whatever it might be. But um, obviously we're still focusing on good quality, quality foods, whole foods, things like that, supplementing when needed. Um, but just paying attention to more of the things that are going to help you get to that ideal body composition. Um, and then the next thing I think is just a nice reminder. 
whether you're trying to gain weight or lose weight um, or you know gain muscle lose fat is just start focusing on protein because I think that's that's the macronutrient that many people struggle with and of course you know carbs fats proteins are all important but in my experience when people really pay attention to protein it tends to just help everything else out right whether you're trying to gain or lose weight it's it's going to be helpful because it's going to help you build or maintain muscle mass um, it's going to help take care of those joints and help you feel fuller and just overall uh, get you to where you need to go so just focusing on getting high quality protein getting adequate amounts and spreading it throughout the day now obviously i can do a whole podcast just talking about protein um, there's a lot of different, you know, views. Um, I think if we're going to just start somewhere, you know, aiming roughly for one gram of protein per pound of body weight is probably a good starting point. It's not perfect for everybody, but it, it'll help you get within the ballpark there. Um, then once you have that number, uh, splitting it up a few times throughout the day. So um, this is easier or harder depending on who I'm talking to. I've I've had clients say, well, I'm only eating two meals a day. Um, how am I going to get my protein in? It's it's very difficult, right? And you're going to have a hard time doing it. And and my recommendation is, why are we eating two meals a day? Is there any way we can increase that, right? So if they're doing intermittent fasting, maybe that's not the best plan for them right now. Um, or they just have to be more strategic about their feeding window when they can get all their protein in there. Um, you know, trying to get again, this is a big range, but 20 to 40 grams per feeding of protein until you hit that number. So that kind of gives you an idea of roughly how many times a day you should be eating um, based on, on those numbers there. So let's just say, for example, I'm trying to get um, 160 grams of, of protein per day. Um, that would be, you know, four eating four times 40 grams, right? And that might be a big, a, a big shock for some people. And I'm not saying you need to hit it perfectly and you need to hit it the very first time you try, but we're just setting a target and now we're gonna start to see see how well we do. Um, and you might notice that, you know what, I really don't need that much. I'm, I'm good at, you know, 140 or 130 and then we can, we can manipulate that. So it's just being consistent with it so you know if it's working or not. Um, so um, paying attention to that, that protein. And then the, the, then the final thing, and I think this is now you're starting to get more into in-season strategy, but kind of just so you can see the, maybe the end result, you know, we, we, we're eating good food, we're getting enough protein, we're getting the right amounts, then paying attention to, to that timing, right? Manipulating your, your macronutrients. Should you do higher fat or, or uh, higher carbohydrates? Should you do fasted exercise? You know, getting into all those those different things there. Um, that's now you're going to start to to get into that as you end end your off season and starting up your in season to help maximize performance there, right? But remember, step one: let's get through, uh, get you to an optimal uh, body composition. Let's pay attention to some of the macronutrients and, and in particular protein. And then finally, we can we can manipulate the timing fasted not fasted, higher carb, higher fat, um, you know, based on the type of training that you're doing. So that's, that's your nutrition and kind of your off season focus. Uh, the second big area is going to be running. Um, you know, and, and I say running, I, I really should say more of your aerobic and your, you know, anaerobic cardiorespiratory training. Um, but running is just easier to, to say there, but it doesn't have to be running. And that's kind of one of the points that I do want to bring up. Um, so number one is, sometimes it's nice to have a break 
and do some cross training. So for me personally, um, I'm, I'm still running, but I'm trying to run a little bit less than I typically do. And I'm, I'm getting other forms of, of uh, conditioning type exercise in there. I still follow many of the same protocols as if I were running, um, but I'm do, I, I've been doing a lot on the assault bike, right? It's just easy. It's very low impact. It gives my joints a break, but I can still get a great workout, you know, whether it's high or low intensity training on there. I might get on the rower. Um, again, I'm, I'm tending to focus more on less impact than, than running. Um, but I still am running as well. I'm not saying abandon it. I still want to, to be efficient at running and, and, and get out there and get my miles in. Um, but probably not as much as I would, um, if it were in season. So I think number one is incorporating a little bit more cross training and, and getting uh, a few less, uh, impact type activities to do your, your conditioning work in. Um, but on top of that with running or really with any type of training that you, you are doing, if you are cross training, <clears throat> there's different ways we can do this, um, focusing on your off season and it kind of depends on the goals of the in season and, um, your experience level as well. If you have a pretty strong aerobic base and you don't need to do uh, quite as much aerobic training, that might not be your biggest focus, but I feel for many, that's probably where we want to shift our focus to. Right? We want to really build that aerobic engine. We want a little bit lower intensity work. Uh, again, we're looking for some of the adaptations, uh, physiological adaptations to occur, like increasing mitochondrial uh, size and number. Right, This is that aerobic powerhouse of the cell that's, that's going to get us to be able to perform for longer. Um, it best responds with lower intensity exercise. So not always doing high intensity training um, is going to be beneficial here. But again, it takes time. So, so getting really efficient at low to moderate training, getting more miles in that way, uh, I think is going to be uh, beneficial, but not losing your speed work as well. So again, it's, it's kind of like a continuum, right? When we get in season, we want to really crank up that speed, make sure that, that, that we're able to run faster. Um, and maybe we don't have to pay as much attention to building that aerobic base in the off season though. I think probably want to shift the other way where we're really building that aerobic base and then adding a little bit of speed work on top of there to help maintain that speed throughout it. So it's, it's still, it's a combination like it would be in the end season, but potentially shifting a little bit more, uh, towards that aerobic. All right. So, um, and again, whether you're running or, or on a bike or a rower, there's uh, just, you know, if you're uni using heart rate training zones, it doesn't matter what you're on, you're, you're going to just uh, follow those zones and, and the appropriate intensity for each. And then the, the final piece that I think is uh, worth bringing up is, is going to be your strength work. So I, I kind of talked about this a, a little bit already with, you know, easing up on the, you know, technique and the obstacle specific work, you know, not to get rid of it, but easing off on that and focusing a little bit more on your strength work, right? We, we want to get strong, we want to get more powerful, and we want to be resilient. And I think this is probably where the biggest impact we can have in our in our in season with what we do in the off season, and that's, that's getting stronger. Now, when I say getting stronger, though, that means a lot of different things. And if your answer to everything is just get strong, just pick up weight and put it down, um, you're missing a lot, right? It's, it's not as simple as you're just going to lift a weight as heavy as you can. Um, there's a lot of other components that you want to consider. And, and unfortunately, it's just not that that easy. So a couple things that I want to touch on. 
Uh, so the first piece with your strength work, what, what you want to focus in on is really preparing your body for the abuse you're going to be putting it through with the in-season, right? So when we're racing, you know, maybe a couple times a month and really pushing our training, it, it takes a toll on the body. And we want to make sure that we are going through a preparatory phase where our training is preparing us to be able to handle that load. And there's a few different ways you can do it. A couple things that I wanted to focus on uh, now is it's not just the muscles that we're focusing on, right? It's also the connective tissue, the fascia, and the joints. And you can influence all of those things. They don't respond exactly like muscles do, where they get uh, bigger and stronger, but they, they do get more resilient. They get thicker um, uh, or even more elastic. So they can handle more and more force and stress that you put on them. And the muscles will get stronger too. But if the, if the only focus is the muscles, if the muscles out get too strong for the joint, you know, we have problems there, right? We need that strong, that those strong joints to support the load that will be going through the muscles. So a couple of things that I think will help you in this process. Um, number one is I think eccentrics is going to be really important when we go. Um, when I say eccentrics, I'm just saying we're going to emphasize the eccentric phase of a lift. So if I use, you know, a push up, for example, as I lower down my chest towards the floor, that's the eccentric portion. Um, or if I'm doing a squat as I lower down. So as that muscle tissue is lengthening under load, that would be our eccentrics. So we can handle more force, more stress in those positions. And I think a lot of times we get too caught up in the concentric, right? The finishing, you know, like if you're, you're jumping, most people think of the, the, you know, jumping onto a box, the concentric portion. If you're doing Olympic lifting, you know, lifting that bar off the ground, it's very concentrically focused, um, which are all fine. But I think right now the focus should be more eccentric. Right, because that's where a lot of injuries occur. You trying to slow yourself down and not being able to do it. You trying to stop, change directions, um, whatever it might be. Um, we need to be able to control that movement as much as possible. And I think, think eccentrics really help, not just for the muscles, but also strengthening the, the joints and connective tissue as well. So uh, make sure you're incorporating, again, you can, you can go a little too far here uh, because with eccentrics, you tend to get a little bit more sore. So make sure that you're using it, but then you're recovering properly. So I'll tend to just pick like one lower body, one upper body, um, maybe two per week um, and just kind of rotate through that way. So um, maybe my first workout, you know, on Monday, it's going to be more of like a, an eccentric squat type exercise. And then my rest of my training is kind of my typical training there. Um, and then my next workout, I'm going to do upper body. Maybe it's, you know, an eccentric push up. And then the next week, maybe I'm going to do an eccentric hip movement, like a deadlift. And then um, the next workout, it might be like a, a pulling, like a, a eccentric chin up or something like that. Uh, so I'm allowing, you know, I'm getting regular exposure, but enough time in between. Uh, so using eccentrics. I also think, um, you know, to add with that or even on its own, adding more isometrics are really helpful. So getting the joints at different positions and just holding it there. So I, I really like combining eccentrics and isometrics um, to kind of get more bang for your buck because it's it's tough to add a lot of these different things in there. So for example, maybe I'll, I'll do an eccentric squat with an isometric hold at the bottom, right? So it might take me three to five seconds to get down into the bottom of my squat and then I'm going to hold it there for you know two three seconds and then a normal concentric lift as I, I stand back up 
uh, again, with the same idea, we're just really owning these different positions and we can control them really well and, and getting really strong in, in these. And, and obviously these are hard and you're going to want to get in and out of positions as fast as possible. But I'm asking you to, to, you know, avoid that temptation, right? So less momentum, you know, if you're deadlifting, you're not doing a touch and go, right? Where you're, you're just touching the ground, standing up, touching the ground, standing up. You're really exaggerating the slow eccentric movements, right? And there's lots of different ways we can incorporate eccentrics, but I think great, this is a great starting point is just slowing down that, that movement, adding those isometrics in to really help prep you. Um, one other way that I think is really important, I mentioned, uh, you know, fascia, which is getting more and more attention. Uh, this is the connective tissue that kind of surrounds the whole body. I'll usually describe it as kind of, it's like the tortilla in a burrito, right? It's, it's holding everything in its place. Um, and our fascia, again, not exactly like muscle, but it does respond to different stimulus. And um, one of the big things to help prepare the fascia for, you know, being a little bit more elastic and reactive is plyometrics, but specifically these very quick response plyometrics. And so these are not necessarily like all out, like I'm gonna jump on a box as high as I can. It'd be more like reactive. So, you know, like the easiest example would be like jumping rope, right? So when you're jumping rope, the goal is to just be really bouncy and, and elastic and, you know, hit the ground and then get right back up again. Uh, so those type of movements. So I, I think jump rope is just a great, a great way to do it. Um, you can do, you know, ladder drills and hurdle drills. So these would be not as um, high intensity type plyometrics that most people are used to, like trying to jump as high or as far as you can. Um, it's more just that quick response, very light, very bouncy. So jump rope ladders, like I said, um, but a little bit longer duration, more exposure because they're lower intensity. So, you know, hitting that jump rope for a few minutes on a regular basis, you know, maybe just start your workout with, you know, a few minutes of jump rope. Um, one kind of combo that I, I like to do is I might set a timer for, you know, anywhere from like five to 10 minutes. I set up a few lower hurdles and grab a med ball and I just alternate between an upper body and a lower body type movement. So I might do like very uh, springy hurdle jumps where I'm just jumping over hurdles uh, and I'm spending as little time on the ground as possible, which is, you know, basically like jumping rope, just a little bit of a higher jump. And then I might do um, like a quick response, like med ball throw, like chest pass at the wall, just trying to hit it as fast as I can. And then I just kind of rest as needed, but just go back and forth until the timer's up. Um, again, it's, it's, you know, training that fascia, but you're, again, you're hitting the joints, you're getting the muscle tissue, you're kind of getting everything more from almost an endurance perspective. And think if we're going to be adding lots of miles in, um, you know, running is just jumping from one leg to the other essentially. And it's a lot of impact. So it's just a great way to prepare your body, uh, for that impact. So I know that was a lot, but that was kind of my, my first thing of, you know, your, this is your prep phase. This, you know, you're going to use eccentrics, use isometrics, use these uh, quick response plyometrics to just prep that body as best you can. Uh, the second key area when we're talking about strength is getting healthy. Um, and I, I see a lot of people that basically limp into one season and limp into the next season. And they're never, they're always like catching up, trying to catch up, but never really get ahead. This is the time to to focus on the things you need to focus on is it mobility is it seeing a, a chiropractor a massage therapist a pt uh, somebody to help you out to get over whatever nagging injuries you might have developed um, over the past season 
So, you know, me, I've, you know, obviously I've been talking about my pec, so I'm doing everything I can to strengthen that so I can get back as soon as I can. So a lot of my strength emphasis is how do I get that stronger right now without re-injuring it? Um, I also, with all the running I was doing towards the end of the year, I developed a little bit of an Achilles problem. Um, so I'm, I'm working with somebody on improving my, my foot mechanics and um, ankle mobility and, and um, you know, trying to solve that. So that's a lot of what my attention is, is being focused on right now. So it's, it's not just getting lifting as hard as I can. It's being very smart about how I, I create my movement there. So um, that's, that's not as much to say about this because it really just depends on what, what you have going on. But if you're not seeing somebody and you can't figure it out on your own and it's been going on for a while, I would highly recommend finding someone that can help you um, with those injuries and, and just get past it as fast as you can. Um, and then the last piece I want to focus on is, yes, we need to get strong. But again, if we're, we're kind of keeping with this theme, we're preparing the body as much as we can. We want to get strong in multiple planes of motion. And that may not make sense if you haven't heard about, you know, uh, planes of movement and biomechanics, but it's essentially just, if we're going to talk about function, right, and moving uh, and exercising to help us move better, we have to understand that we, we move in three dimensions, right? We move forward, backwards, up, down, side to side, we rotate. Um, but often when you look at programs in the gym, they're very one dimensional, right? It's a lot of up and down and forward and back movement, and that's it. Right? So some of the big exercises that most people try and get super strong in, they're in one plane. We call that the sagittal plane. Right? When you see uh, push-ups, bench press, any presses, uh, squats, lunges, right? any of that forward and backward movement, that's, um, that's what we're talking about. This is the sagittal plane, which is there's nothing wrong with that. We move in those different planes of motion and, and we need to get strong there. But when you look at the workout, that's the only movement that you really see. So it's important that we get into other planes. So we have forward and backwards. Don't worry about that because that's probably 98% of the workout that you're doing right now. Your goal is how do I get more side-to-side -side movements, which would be our frontal plane movement, and how do I get more rotational movements, which would be our transverse plane movement, right? So that's usually the key. And really any movement or exercise that you think of, there's a way to add those different movements in there. Um, so if I look at, um, you know, I'm gonna take a lunge because that's an easy one to look at, right? I can go walking lunges and that's gonna be a sagittal plane movement, right? I'm going forward. Then I can go lateral lunge and that's gonna be my frontal plane movement, right? I'm going side to side. And then I can add a rotational lunge and that's gonna be my transverse plane, right? So they're all lunges, but I'm doing them different planes of motion. Right? So I can do presses and pulls and, and squats and deadlifts, uh, all these different things in multiple planes of motion. So start to think, how, how can I incorporate different planes of motion? Right? So I gave you a few examples with, with lunges, um, but you know, deadlifts is another one. So right? I can do a deadlift where I'm just going to pick a weight up, put it back down. That's sagittal plane. So you might be thinking, well, how do I add a frontal plane? I can do a lateral deadlift. Just imagine this, I'm going to spread my feet really wide, and then instead of going straight down, I'm going to uh, push my butt back and put the weight down next to, let's just say, my left foot. So I'm shifting all of my weight to the side, but still doing a deadlift, right? I'm not, not doing a lateral lunge. My, I'm doing a hip hinge just uh, sideways, and then I stand back up, 
hinge back down to the side, stand back up, and I can put some videos in the show notes so you can see what I mean uh, with that type of movement there. Uh, and then I can even add a rotational deadlift where now I'm actually pivoting my foot, turning, rotating my hips, and then standing back up and adding that rotation there. So um, there's so many different ways you can do it. You just have to be a little bit creative. Um, and again, I'll put a few videos. I, I recently did a Instagram post with um, a, a rotational row and a, a lateral lunge a variation just to see some of the different ways I was trying to get into different planes of motion. Um, but it's important to, to think we move in these different planes. We need to train in these different planes. Um, sometimes if you're really struggling, uh, kind of a way to, to not cheat, but a, a different way to look at it is instead of moving in those different planes of motion, you can look at how you load the exercise as well. So just for example, let's say I'm doing push-ups, right? So it's a, a typical sagittal plane exercise. But what if I just loaded it a little bit and I loaded it in a different plane of motion? So for example, what if I took a band, like a, a thick band, and I put it around, you know, I attached it to the wall, and then I put it around my, my hips. So it was pulling me like sideways, right? So I'm parallel to the wall and uh, the band's around my hips and it's pulling me uh, towards the wall. And I just still do my push-ups, which are a sagittal plane movement, but I'm loading it in a different way. So it's getting these muscles that typically have to engage in the, the frontal plane, right? That side-to-side -side movement, it gets them to engage there. So, so that's a different way. We can, we can actually create a movement in that sagittal plane, but load it with a force that's pulling you maybe sideways or even pulling you into rotation, right? If, if you're familiar with the Pavlov press, um, so that's where you're standing, kind of the same setup. I have a band tied off to my side and then I um, hold the band at my belly button and I press it straight out. So it's, it's just a forward movement, right? It's, it's a sagittal plane movement, but the band's trying to rotate you and your goal is to not let it rotate you. Uh, so that is a, a sagittal plane movement with a transverse plane or a rotational plane force to it. So I know it kind of gets complicated, um, but go to the show notes to this episode and I'll, I'll put a few examples of different movements that you can do in different planes, just so hopefully that's a little bit more clear. Um, but um, I think these are really important pieces to focus on um, specifically with strength. So, uh, so remember, off-season, you're still training, still training hard, you're just shifting your emphasis. So remember we talked about nutrition, some of the key areas you're going to pay attention to there. Uh, you're running, some of the key areas, paying, you know, building that base, uh, maintaining speed. And then with our strength, really all the things we talked about are better preparing your body to handle the stress that it's going to see in the upcoming coming season. So hopefully that helps give you some ideas on, on how you can focus your um, off-season training. Um, and again, if you need help, um, need ideas, you can always reach out to me. Um, this is what I do for my clients and put together their programs for them so they don't have to think about that. Um, so uh, hopefully that helps you give you some insight on your off-season training program. All right. Well, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this special off-season training podcast episode. Um, for all the exercises and everything I talked about in today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 88. And also, I'm going to put links to all of our sponsors. Uh, definitely check them out. Use the, uh, the code you see there to save some money. So a big uh, thanks to Venga CBD, uh, Fitbar, 
and flex movement fitness you can check them all out on there uh well that's it probably the last episode of the year so i hope you have a great holiday season and new year and we'll be back in 2022 with some more great episodes for you until then keep training smarter